Welcome to the Mother's Day episode of the Made Newsens podcast. And today I've got a guest who is a father, but because the reality of the matter is the fact that there are men out there who have dual roles due to circumstances beyond their control. And my guest today, Matthew, has lost his wife to colon cancer. And uh, he will be sharing the story and how he's dealt with the loss and how he's just been coping with everything today. So welcome to my podcast, Matthew. I am so happy to be here and thank you for thinking of me and uh, being willing to share uh, you know, the, the dual role of, of father motherhood, I guess it would be the best thing. And so um, I'm really grateful to be able to uh, share that. And also hopefully uh, for other people listening that it, it kind of normalizes it if they feel uh, lonely in their, uh, you know, wearing dual hats as a parent, that it's, um, that they're not alone, that there's a lot of people, uh, myself included, doing this. Yeah, yeah, there's so many people out there and I mean, I know it's called Mother's Day, but we have to recognize the fact that there are fathers that play the role of mothers, and there are, and on Father's Day, it's going to be mothers who are also lone parents, single moms. This is the reality of the life that we live in. So thank you so much for coming on my podcast, and I really appreciate the fact that this is, in some way, it might be difficult for you to share some of the stories, but it has to be said and it has to be shared for somebody to gain something and so for, so for other people to learn from your experience as well. So thank you. Yeah, there's there's a great quote, and I'm going to butcher the heck out of it, but it's um basically like, you know, write your write and share your journey uh, down, if you will, and that page of your story and your journey may be a page in someone else's survival guide later, right? So I think sharing it, uh, I, I said earlier, normalizes, but also hopefully it helps somebody uh, because I've I've heard other guys, and I have a great network of unfortunately, but lucky for me, widowers, men who have lost their wives too soon for various different reasons, that I'm able to reach out to and and say, you know, here was a crazy day, or you know, am I crazy for thinking this way? And they're like, no, you're not. This is <laughs> totally how you're going to have to go through this thing. So yeah. thank you. Yeah, it's difficult. But yes, it's just reality. So can you please share how long ago your wife passed away? Yeah, so it's um, two and a yeah, well, two and a half years. So it was uh, September 22nd, 2018. Uh, she, she passed away uh, from basically complications, I guess is what they call it from colon, colorectal cancer. Um, but her, we use, well, we use, I use, people use the word journey. Um, there's going to, well, I don't say cancer fight, but anyway, it was short. Uh, she was diagnosed actually uh, 86 days after the birth of our only daughter wow. uh, at stage, right, at stage four, which means it had been metastasized to the liver and lungs. So it was, she was only a cancer uh, 
fighter or journeyer for 322 days. It was quick. It was really, really quick. So when she when she passed away, uh, she le left me with our 13 month old daughter at the time. So she made it just past our daughter's first birthday, and then she she basically passed away. Oh, I'm so sorry that you experienced that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did you feel at the time when she was diagnosed with the cancer? I mean, it's so. Yeah. So I think like so many other people, when you hear, and I've only in, I've been, there's been loss in my life through family, but usually it's through heart attacks. So this was my first very intimate relationship with cancer. So she, her family really didn't have, well, does not have any colon cancer. And, and I had no experience really in my immediate family with cancer. And so when you get the diagnosis, it's that kind of, especially in my situation, when it being new, both of us being new, to dealing with it, we're like, Oh, what does it mean? And Oh, you'll get chemo and you'll, you know, get radiation and you'll be fine. And, and then somewhere along the line, the, you realize that the medicine's not going to work or the treatments are going to work forever at stage four. And you go, Oh, this, this isn't going to go the way we had thought. And, and so originally it was, and rightly so, uh, hope, uh, my wife, what, uh, I do not like the past tense, but we'll go ahead and say it anyway. It was, um, is a, uh, a strong, smart, beautiful, healthy, ran marathons and half marathons, ate way more salads than I did, uh, and was a doer, right? So if you put a plan in place, my wife would do it. I mean, that's what she did. She put a plan in place and make things happen. And so with cancer, you go, okay, here's the plan. Well, all of a sudden you realize you, you don't really have a lot of control over how the cancer reacts. So originally it was put a plan in place, a lot of hope. Uh, she was young, she was healthy. Uh, they've come a long way in some decent treatments. So there was more hope than there would have been say 10 years ago and way more hope than 20 years ago. But you also start to look at, unfortunately, the statistics of specifically just colorectal cancer stage four and they're not, they're not great. And so you, you have to have a little bit of reality to go. I, you know, I talk to people about this too. If they're on a cancer journey where there's this very interesting thing and I've never, I haven't found the English word for it, but you hold on to hope, but yeah. while still being realistic because you still have to live and you, and you have to make plans. You have to talk about hard things even though you're hopeful that like, it's kind of like making a will, right? People don't like to make a will, but you're like, well, just make the will. It doesn't mean you're not going to be here tomorrow. It just, it's the right thing to do. And people don't like to do it, but you're like, but you should, it's, you still need to talk about those things, even though you have no plan of not being here after the will is done or something. So um, yeah, it was originally, it was really a lot of hope um, and just a lot of, you know, follow getting good advice from doctors, putting in a support place, but it was a lot of tactical. A lot of times you'll hear what, walk and tackle, right? Just doing things. But it was a big gut punch for sure, because watching three doctors walk into a room late in an evening, way past normal hours. And you can, I mean, you can read a room when people have this look. And then for some of them, it was the first time because they were putting a team together. They'd seen my wife, Marcy in person. And I'm sure they looked at the file, but like the age probably didn't register with them or it wasn't top of mind. And they walk in and they hear that, you know, at the time we have a three month baby at home and here's a healthy 37 year old, I, I think at the time. 
and they're just kind of going, whoa. And you can read it and you go like, oh, that's not a good look on the doctor's face. And then they tell you cancer and you go, now I understand why. So originally it was, it was a lot of, like I said, it was a lot of hope, but it was also, man, I, I also remember, uh, I think the, I went home from the hospital to check in on the baby who was with um, her grandma. And I remember just, just holding her and crying, basically going like, it'll all be okay. Knowing and had not looking at stats, thinking that it was something that was eatable. And you later on, that's a follow up question, but later on, you start to again adjust your expectations. So I would say, uh, yeah, when first hearing it, it's just, just you kind of get the wind knocked out of you. Anyone that's listening who might have gone through or who has been through a, a big trauma loss of or, or, or grieving, there's also that shock where you almost you're almost kind of numb. Like you, you, I mean, you feel the feelings, but you, you're like, this isn't really happening or it, it, you know, it's real, but you kind of go, not really, really. Right. Like they have the wrong file. They've, it's one of those classic hospitals messed up <laughs> the diagnosis. Okay. And then you realize it's not. You, so, yeah. you just yeah. hope that it's a misdiagnosis. Hoping that, okay, when they do the test again, it's going to be a different story for her. Exactly. It's all, and, and it's, and it's all, and it's a flood, right? It's, it really is like, it all comes at once. You're like, well, that can't be right. Oh, it is right, but it'll be okay. I mean, she's young and healthy and, you know, we hear about people beating cancer, thank goodness, all the time. And, and then you, you realize, oh, you know, whatever day four, they're like, nope, this is, this is a real, real thing. And for me also early on, because you can't, it doesn't physically represent itself anywhere like on the, so if someone's in a bad car accident, you can see the injuries or you can see what they're gonna have to deal with, or, you know, um, things of those, like things like that. Or if they're really sick and you, you can see them, you know, like not being healthy or loss of color, my wife never looked sick until the very, very end. And so it's a really weird, you're like, but you know, people are like, well, she looks great. You're like, well, yeah, but it doesn't change the diagnosis that she still has cancer, which brought a whole new level of empathy and sympathy for people. Uh, for me personally going like, sometimes you just don't know what someone's going through. And I mean, this literally on the inside, right? Like what they may be struggling with physically on the inside. So like you said, it is, you kind of, you kind of go like, oh no, they'll run the test again. And they'll be like, oh, I don't want to be too familiar. Like, just kidding. Um, but yeah. So originally like it was, it was like, oh, well, we'll just, we'll do what we've done together as a couple. And she's done in her life. You put it, you know, get some good information, put a plan together and the outcome will be X and we'll do, you know, I guess I did that wrong. The plan is X, Y, and Z and we'll wind up with a good outcome. And unfortunately cancer could care less about that. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, yeah, yeah, as I say, um, cancer is just something that nobody plans to have, right. but yeah. it happens. Like, my dad died of cancer, and before he died, my mom passed away about a year mm. before that, and uh, it just went into a shell. He was not himself, and that yep. time. I was critically ill. Mm, so, yes, I was. Oh. I I think the shock of my mom passing away so suddenly hit me at some point. And yeah. I went into coma for two weeks. Oh. So, my dad came from Nigeria to look after me in the UK. And mm. he was just not the same man that 
I always known. And then he went back home. Three months down the line, he was ill, and somebody said he was he had cancer. And I said, no, not my father. I was in denial. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was in denial, and when my sister in Nigeria said um, he couldn't get on the flight, he couldn't do things. I said, not the fact I saw him like. Three months ago, what are you telling me that I cannot do things? So my brother had to go from the US to pick my dad to come to the UK to, and then by the time I saw him, it was a completely different person. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, in three in less than three months. In less than three months, and yeah. when the doctors saw him in the office, they kept saying he wasn't going to survive. Like, no way, can you be telling him that he's not gonna survive? Right, you've got to let him. I mean, that can be real, that can be true. So, I wasn't denial until the day he died. Yeah, <laughs> well, and you know, I think, and also, I, I mean, you saw him sick, but at the same time, right? It's it, I, I know it's in our nature, most of us, I think, to do something. And it comes out in different ways, right? Like my my kind of do is I, I I start doing things physically. Like I when I'm in denial of something or I don't want to recognize it, I will yeah. mow the lawn, I'll build shelves, I'll paint a wall, I'll do yeah. things physically. Exactly. Where other people might right, other people may go internal and like, well, let me do it. Like one of my wife's best friends literally put together this file, I know it's a podcast that was like six inches thick of all these cancer treatments from all over the world and was yeah. like, we can try this and you try this and try this. And I'm like, I mean, God bless her. It was amazing because I would have never done that work. Yeah. And, and so it was really great. But at the same time, the denial of like, yes, this six inch binder of all this wonderful information and phone calls she did and connections she's made, she made for us, um, did not change the, whoop, sorry, my uh, microphone there, um, yeah. did not change the, this, the stage four diagnosis, right? You yeah. can go to 12 doctors and they're all going to tell you that to a stage four. And, right. And then, I mean, there's some nuances in treatments, but there does come a point when you, like I was saying earlier, there's that re the reality sets in that this is not going to go the way, whether you're in denial or hopeful or whatever, it's not going to go the way anyone would ever want. Right. And so then whether it's the day of, or a month before, or six months before they, they pass away, then you kind of have to deal with, well, now what do I do with this thing? Yeah. Because I know it's no matter, no matter, no matter. There was actually a moment in my wife's cancer journey in our house where we, everything was going okay. Everything was, I mean, treatments were working. She was really, really healthy. Um, we were able to kind of live life between chemo treatments and et cetera. And I remember we're in the in our hallway and, and my life has been, you know, work hard, you know, get ahead a little bit and out hustle things and just try to, you know, try to work harder and fix it and do those sort of things. Right. And I remember telling my wife, I'm like, we, I can't outwork it. I can't out hustle it. I can't fix this. It's and she's like, yeah, I know. And she goes, my plan's not going to work either. And so what do we do with that? Right. And oh. it, it, it's, it was a real emotional moment, but at the same time you go, well, you, I, you do what we've been doing, live a little, but if the chemo worked for four years, fantastic that wasn't what happened yeah. but that's what you hope for but kind of that mix of like because i think up until that we were both kind of not talking about it but we both kind of knew that this was not you know to be really sad it's like you know 
she wasn't going to see our daughter graduate high school. That was never, ever going to happen. Right. And I think we both kind of knew it at that point. It was about six months in. And we kind of were like, oh, now could she see her go to school? Maybe if, you know, the treatments had kept working. There's plenty of cancer people who have that happen. But um, so that denial is, it can manifest itself in a lot of ways. Like you're saying, like you were denial up until the day of. We were in denial of like, you know, how long her treatment could be. Right. We were going, we'll just keep working. It'll just keep working. We won't, we're not going to look at how many, oh, that's the lady that we know in Chicago is on her 77th, you know, chemo treatment. She's only yeah. on her 10th. She's got plenty more chemo treatments okay. to go before. And her cancer decided that's not wasn't going to work for it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the denial can come in a lot of different ways. And some people like full on, you know, just, I don't know, maybe this was you and you can, you can speak to it, but it's like uh, full on deny that their person's even sick at all. Because recognizing that the person is sick means something's wrong or maybe it's not going to, again, go the way you want. Where we were more like in denial of like how long it was going to work, right? We, we, I mean, you keep going to chemo treatments and you know you have cancer because they're, <laughs> they're doing all their stuff and you're like, well, they're not doing yeah. this for fun. Like there's no denying that the person is sick. But like kind of in your case, maybe you can speak to that of like the level of denial and how it impacts kind of what we receive too because it right it, you can't you can't fully embrace it and still try to move forward and have hope you don't want to extinguish that light because it's what kind of a fire and light if you will that kind of drives you because when it gets bad it gets dark and if you don't have that how are you going to how are you going to go forward again so like maybe with your denial was it was it kind of like oh he's just not sick at all or was it no, no, like, well, he'll just he was no. just he'll be okay no yeah my I'll deny I think mine was the fact was that he was going to get treatment mm -hmm. and it was going to be okay yep but he yeah. never got around ne never even got around to getting the chemo right he i mean the doctor said it was pointless giving him chemo uh -huh. and then by the time we looked at it he i mean we sort of okay we worked out the treatment plan for him and I think the weekend before he was supposed to start the um, treatment that was when he died. And oh, yeah. Just, like, I mean, I, I just couldn't get my head around the fact that. Well, especially, well, you hadn't barely even gotten out of the blocks of treatment. Like, you hadn't even had a chance to have one to prolong Exactly. It. And what, what I find interesting, too, is like, I, I choose to believe, and I, I don't know. I want to edit how far I want to go on this, but yeah. I choose to believe that the human, my experience with loss in my life has been a long time with several different family members. And there are instances where I believe, I choose to believe that the human spirit can sometimes decide when it, when enough is enough. Yeah. And, and, and whether he would have gotten treatment or not, or, you know, I, I, a little bit, believe that my wife chose to get past our daughter's first birthday. Yeah. And then real, which is right, you know, is, is in August, then it's September and there's not, there's not a lot in our lives in the United States. And in, in our life as a couple in September, like things start happening in October for us. There's memories, obviously of the holidays. Yeah. And then you roll into March, which ironically is cancer awareness month for her cancer and her birthday. But anyway, and so I think she was like, well, if I, if I, if I go now, I don't ruin, if you will, all this time that they can celebrate 
our life and yeah. and things. And, you know, and I'm not, you know, I don't, your dad may have gone like, well, yeah, I can make it to the treatment, but all that's going to do is prolong me for the people I love. And maybe this is just the best time for me to go. And, and, you know, and I know that's not easy for people to maybe process. When okay. Yeah. Is it a lot of people like, oh, you mean they gave up? Oh, absolutely not. They, 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 you know, I don't, again, fight. they fought or they did everything they could in their power. But sometimes the human deep down the human spirit, they just kind of go like, well, like this is, this is, you know, I've done everything I needed to do on this planet or whatever the belief might be. And, and it's just kind of a, a, I won't say nice. That's so bad. It's just the simplest time for me to stop, stop doing what I'm doing, I think. So, because there's been several members of my family, you look at the dates they pass and you're like, well, that was fairly convenient for them. <laughs> I mean, it sounds so bad, but I mean, we're talking heart attacks and strokes. And so it's not like they planned it. I want it right. But like, you kind of go like, that was, that was, that was pretty nice of them for them to, to not, yeah. you know, with, but anyway, oh, so that's yeah. right. And so maybe, you know, and you get depending on how sick your dad was and how, you know, it sounds like cancer was super advanced. It could yeah, have also wow. been like, he goes, he was like, and also, you know, you know, chemo, I mean, chemo is a rough thing to go through and he, he you know, it might've been yeah, like, um, oh, yeah. Yes, I think right. for him, yeah. the fact that he had never been hospitalized before that time, this is a man that is always fit, fit yeah. to the point of he walks distances. I mean, I only just started walking when yeah. lockdown happened. But my dad used to walk. He was, I mean, was very, a very fit man. And yes. when you see him, he's like, oh, when he comes around to me to stay with me, he walks around the town. And, I mean, he tells me, oh, he went to this place, and I was like. How did you get there? How did really? you know how to get there? You know? And it was like, you didn't even oh, get it. You didn't get it. You didn't get it. I found my, I mean, I found my way. You didn't get an Uber or anything. He just no. walked yeah. 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 So it was very sweet. And yeah. I think the fact that he was in hospital was something of a shock for him. Yeah. And the fact that doctors kept telling him he wasn't going to make it out of that hospital was another yeah. factor that actually, yeah. actually added to the whole process feeding up if you can't yeah. me but yeah. uh, we're not talking about me let's talk about well, i know uh, well, yeah. but but like you know grief and i think well, i'll probably say this again but you know grief is something that and I, i'm i'm from the united states and so i can only speak from my experience but Grief seems to be a thing, and, and loss seems to be a thing that people and don't talk don't, about. They don't talk about, it, and it's hard. And I also want to go back real quick and just say, like, you know, saying that someone is ending their their, we'll stay focused on cancer journey because that's only one I can really talk about right now. But um, it's not that they wouldn't give anything to have six more minutes or six more years. It's more about you know, and time. Time is so precious when you hear that news that, of course, both our people that are important to us and that we love and ourselves would, as a classic phrase of trade, anything to have two more minutes with them. But at the same time, you know, the other side of that is, you know, well, what would that two, we assume it would be a nice two minutes, but what if, what if it wasn't, what if it was really not pleasant for us or it was not great or so sometimes i think that it's 
it's important to understand, you know, when I say those things, it's not like like hearted or anything. I just think that sometimes, you know, we want we all want more time with the people we love, whether it's our parents, our spouses, or our children, but we only have so much time on this world. And so whether that gets cut short or it goes until you 105 in a rocking chair on a porch, of course everyone wants one more minute or two more yeah. minutes or two more years. But at the same time, it's kind of like at what cost and what does that really mean? Because we make the assumption that it's it's gonna be it's gonna be, you know, whatever butterflies and rainbows and, yeah. and, and you know, it, it maybe, it, maybe it wouldn't. And so, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, you know, it, and it's hard in our, in our, our, you you know, you touched on one of them, you have denial acceptance, right? The, the five, I think it's five stages of death and dying yeah. that, um, that she wrote, uh, I always butcher her last name, Kubler Ross, I think, right. That anyway, that, um, and, and you can be in one the whole time you can bounce around all five, but our in our our in our internal brain, our our person inside knows how to protect ourselves from getting too hurt in those moments. And I think that you know, you know, some people that rush straight to acceptance and was like, well, how could you do that? And you're like, well, because their inside knows that the way they're going to deal with what's about to come down the the pipe, even you know, if stage three and they wind up leaving the hospital and they're healthy and fine, they have to accept that they have. Or you know, other people deny it so they can fight harder or whatever it might be. But inside our our spirit knows how to do it. And it may have been in like your case, the denial may have been the best way for your spirit to wrap, to be able to handle what was coming. Because if you'd accepted it, it may have been way too wrong, way too painful for the time that you had with him. Right. And it's kind of like, you know, I get people look at me a little weird sometimes when I'm like, my wife and I knew that she wasn't going to see our kid go to, go to school. I was like, how could you dare? And I'm like, that's how we dealt with it. it. And it made it, it made it open and honest and beautiful and graceful. And so, but that's not, that, that was our spirits doing or our human interaction that did that. And that's not for everybody. And I wouldn't force that on anybody either. I think that, you know, staying in denial can be very good, especially if you, you can't function in another realm and you just, or another emotional tank or whatever column, uh, because you might just fall apart. And you're, I think our, I, I believe our spirits know what, how we can do it because as human beings we've been doing we've been having life and loss for depending on what you <laughs> three thousand plus years <laughs> yeah right. Right. Memorial. right yeah yeah oh thank you so much for that yeah um one thing i wanted to raise awareness about is mm-hmm. the cancer the colon cancer because it's colon cancer awareness month mm-hmm. in the u.s and i also wanted to know some of the symptoms your wife has. oh thank wow that's awesome for you to ask um so yeah march in the united states is colorectal awareness month it's a hard one to say or crc um it is i think it's something like 150,000 people will be diagnosed with it in the u.s um it is the second leading uh or second second leading cause of cancer death second only to lung cancer and the other kind of asterisks and i'll get into the symptoms of everything too is it is it is and this is across the world it is rapidly on the rise in people under the age of they say 50 because that used to be the or 55 because that used to be the line it really is on rise in the people under the age of 40 and they can't they don't know why yet obviously things have changed in the last 30 to 40 years with our food and the food streams and how we live our lives and et cetera. So I'm not 
I'm not authorized or educated enough to speak on each yeah. platform, on each kind of idea, but they know it. It's obviously something going on with what we put in our bodies and what we do to our bodies that's different now than was 30 years ago. Um, and so, so that's, I'm, again, I'm really glad you asked that. So in my wife's case, um, her symptoms, because she just had our, our baby, a lot of the symptoms were masked with like post birth stuff, right? Where it was oh. like, oh, that's totally right. They're like, oh, that's totally normal for your bowel movements, maybe to be off because you just had a baby or a little bit of pain here and there in that South area, you know, South oh, of the belly, but it would be normal because you just had a baby and and she, she delivered uh, via C-section. So they're like, it could be a little bit of, you know, scarring tissue or whatever. Um, but what really, so I'm going to go backwards from extreme uh, symptoms to her original ones that yes. kind of get missed, right? So for her, basically what happens is to get, we'll just, I'll just say her, uh, what did she used to say? Her, her, her crane wasn't on time. Her bowel movement started to get very difficult to pass and just very like she felt like she was constipated but she was not um and the big one was not only did she have the very typical blood on the stool blood in the stool but her stool got really narrow because of where her tumor was it was blocking the exit so her, her stools got narrow she had a lot of um what i would call abdominal discomfort which was not normal for her she didn't have it before the pregnancy and she didn't have it before. So that was like a big red flag too, that um, really forced her to like, well, she had basically had an argument with the GI doctor, like you need to come check. I, I someone needs to come check me out because something's not right. Oh. Um, yeah. And so, so, but prior to that, all of her symptoms, and this is where it's weird for the young people is can be masked by like hemorrhoids, right? So blood in the stool, kind of irregularity of bowel movements. Um, uh, what's the other, um, there's one more and I know I'm drawing a blank. I'll, it'll come to me in a minute. But so for her, when we sat down or, or we talked about her history, because again, you kind of start asking, well, why wouldn't have a doctor known this or how come it, well, all of her symptoms were, have been explained previously by hemorrhoids. Right. And so they were just like, well, you probably have a hemorrhoid flare up or whatever. And you know, she saw her annual doctor and, and we were, you know, we saw a GI or not a GI, we saw, she saw her OBGYN and yeah. doctor right during yeah. the pregnancy. So she was getting checkups. People asked, why didn't they find it then? Because they're not looking for it. I mean, yeah. you, know, you know, when you're scanning for a baby, you're not looking for a, a tumor in the, yeah, in the digestive tract. Right. And so, so those, those were her kind of big symptoms when like, I think if I remember correctly, she said probably in her I want to say early, late twenties, early thirties, she had like blood that she was worried about, but it kind of went away. So that could have been a polyp that would have been precancerous that burst or whatever, but she that didn't continue. It wasn't like a lot or anything. And so that probably should have raised a red flag. We know that now, obviously, because deeply educated in, in colorectal cancer um, symptoms, but again, all the other symptoms, no family history. That's the other one that they'll always ask you, is there only family history? Okay. Well, if there's no family history and you're a relatively healthy under 40-year-old, they're not going to suggest a colonoscopy. And that's where I was going to say it earlier, where being an advocate 
in the United States, and I, I don't know other medical systems, so we, you sometimes have to really yell at people to say, like, I need you to check this out because something's very wrong. Like, you know your body. You've been walking and using it for whatever, 20, 30, 40 plus years. Mm-hmm. You got to go, something's not right. right. And especially yeah. when you can't, right, and you can't see it. It's not, you know, and now I there are, I do know, um, unfortunately, I call them my cancer-connected people, my cancer folks, um, where, like, you know, someone does wind up with an odd tumor that pops someplace in their body. And you're like, that's not but that's rare, especially with colon cancer. So it's all inside and you just, you just don't feel right. Right. And she went back and she thought it through a couple of times. She goes, yeah, there was a few flare ups where I probably should have. But if you go to a regular doctor and especially the volume of this colorectal cancer awareness, isn't quite as high as it was even it's louder now than it was five years ago, but no one was telling anyone to get colonoscopies before the age of 55, even, even five years ago. So the American Cancer Society just lowered it, I think, to 45 here in the United States. And then they're now saying there's a test you can do starting at 40. Um, you, you, you leave your sample in a box and you mail it off and they'll check to see if there's any cancer stuff in that, which then would have you go get a colonoscopy. Um, and so yeah, her symptoms were, again, blood, uh, you know, blood on or on the stool or on, on a toilet paper, I guess would be the other one. And then really it was just kind of bowel irregularity for her prior to being diagnosed. And then right up to diagnosis, it was really that, you know, something's not right with my, the chief trains coming on time, but, uh, you know, something's not right with my movements. And she really had to like, she I remember she was talking to a, I think that was the nurse at the GI doctors, a gastrointestinal specialist. And she was, I mean, my wife is a smart, strong, powerful individual. And she's like yelling gracefully at this nurse going like, you need to get me in because something is not right. Right. And it, and it exasperated to that level. And, um, so I think that, you know, those kind of four symptoms that, you know, and you know, that if you have blood in or on your stool, kind of, you know, the irregularity of bowel movement where, you know, you, and it's, and it'll change fast. Right. So my wife, it was less than three months. Right. So perfectly fine leaving the hospital. And then three months later, like total change in bowel movements. Right. So it's fast. So if you're like, Oh, I'm a, this type of regular person. And then in less than like three to four months, you change entirely. We are like, Oh, something's not going on. Right. And then um, the other one is, is it, it's kind of hard because you can have so many different, you know, abdominal discomfort based on food or whatever. But like if you if you throw all three of those into the mix, so if your bowel movements have changed, you have blood in or on the stool and you got some pretty uncomfortable uh, digestive issues, if you will, you should definitely advocate is what I, I usually tell people inside of our groups, like advocate loudly for yourself because not the doctor's fault. They're just not going to suggest a colonoscopy, especially if you're under the age of 50 and especially if there's no family history. So, um, yeah, thank you for asking that. And there's just to point people quick, you know, real quick, there are several really great communities. One is uh, colorectal Alliance. There's another one called the colorectal or fight CRC is another great one because inside of those groups, not only they, focus on the legacy stuff, which is colorectal cancer happened to people of elderly age. Um, that's why they recognized getting a colonoscopy at 55 because they could catch the polyp early, which turned into cancer. And then it would never turn into cancer. Well, now they're like, oh, geez, we should be doing these earlier. 
So those two have, but those two organizations have um, really good information about young or early onset colorectal awareness. So, oh. yeah, thank you for asking that. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, sometimes you know your body, you can tell when something is not right. And you go to your GP, your doctor, the hospital, and they keep saying, oh, we can't find anything wrong with you. And yeah. that is the frustrating part for me, you know. And with your wife, she had all these green flags or, or the red flags, I should say, yeah. where which should have been picked up or, I mean, she's gone for this. I yeah. can't go back to that right now. So um, going back to what you said earlier, you have some support groups that mm -hmm. actually focus on different aspects of support. Mm -hmm. Can you uh, repeat some of this and how they've helped you so far? Absolutely. So since we just finished talking about cancer awareness and stuff, I'll, I'll start with those. So there is an amazing Facebook group actually called, I think it's now actually called Cohen Town, and they have all these different little neighborhoods inside of it. Um, everything from the actual patient to being able to have a place to communicate or people like myself that was the caregiver to um, uh, uh, what do you call it? clinical trial neighborhoods and also it's wonderful. So it's called Colin Town. There's another one called, I think it's like Blue Hope Nation because the ribbon for colorectal uh, cancer is blue. Um, and so virtually those groups were great for everything from, hey, what did you do about this medicine like it causes a rash or whatever or hey did you hear about this treatment does it work for this or what are you guys doing for smoothies in the morning to help fight nausea whatever it might be all of those little places i just mentioned and there's a few others and off the top of my head i can't remember but those are the ones that helped me a lot and that i'm still and i call them my cancer connection people because i now have after being a caregiver to a cancer patient my wife I have a newfound respect for people who are like in the military or have a shared event that everyone went through together because they're bonded. So someone else may be on a different path of their cancer journey, but I have, I know what they're kind of going through, especially as the caregiver. And I don't, I did not, thank goodness, have cancer, but so I can share, I can listen. I have empathy. I understand. Right. And they also understand what's really great about these type of remote communities. And also I'll get to the ones in person is that you're able to go in there and I'll just say for myself, vent like a madman and no one's going to call you crazy. Where if I call some of my friends who have perfectly healthy wives and families and I'm calling to them complaining about an ostomy bag, I won't get into what that is, but I'm, I'm sitting here complaining about it. They're going to be like, well, I don't understand anything you're talking about, Matthew. And I'll be like, oh, that's true. You don't, you don't deal with this. Well, yeah. That doesn't make them a bad person. They just don't have experience it's with it. Right? It's, yeah. right, it's kind of, it's kind of like talking to someone who's a, you know, a, a dog lover to a cat lover and they're like i don't understand your problem with your dog because i like cats or whatever and so so that's my remote groups and they're really amazing and obviously they're 24 7 they're great resources so that's remote and then the other one that i'm really blessed with is um we'll just call it a cancer house so like a, a ronald mcdonald house this one's called the wellness house outside of chicago every hospital that treats cancer patients somewhere nearby will have an organization that's not for profit to help you outside the hospital you can find them they're they're all over and i was lucky enough that this place has a support group for men with children at home while your wife is going through her cancer treatments oh. and journey and they also did a separate one for after if god forbid or god forbid that um 
your person passes away. And so it's a very unique group of guys who are still fathering a child at home. Mostly some they've lost for college, but mostly, or they were at home and they're just finding the group now. And it's just amazing group of guys that once a month remotely because of COVID uh, get together. And it's just a check-in of like, you know, how are you doing? You know, or, you know, one guy, you know, uh, started dating and you're like, well, tell me what that's like. How do you incorporate, you know, your late wife or how do the kids feel? How did you do it? And it's just really great because it makes, as I said earlier, it makes you, even though you might feel lonely, you're not alone. Someone else is kind of going through it. Maybe not similar, exactly same pace or same spot yeah. in the journey, but it makes you feel good. So there's that group. And then I'm also, I'm very lucky and I've been very lucky in life. I have a core group of guy friends I've been friends with for over 20 years. Um, and they have not let me down at all through all of this. Um, even though they live in different places, um, they've been amazing. Um, and so I would, I would tell people that you might be shocked if you're going through something like this as a caregiver, that your friends may be way more capable than you think. Like you, the, and you might be also surprised that someone may step up to the plate that you would have never thought. Yeah. And I had a couple of those where I go like, oh, I didn't put you in that friend category, but look at you showing up. Right. And so I think that's important. And then the other one and this kind of goes to, you know, how we're connected is. I, there are um, a couple of podcasts and then groups that support those podcasts that I'm finding um, about widowers and people can, you know, look those up. I think that's really good. And then I, you know, it's, it's because it's that shared experience. And then the, the other one that I'm just now starting to, because it's been two and a half years, I've had a couple of life changes that I had to manage, but uh, the other one is just finding from my perspective is finding two things. One, and I'll just use the term single dad. So not necessarily have to be widowed, but dads that, you know, are, you know, hanging out with their kids and doing things with their kids. Um, and then also finding, because I'm a father of a daughter, finding some moms that I, I call it my mom brain, where yeah. I go, hey, how do you do a ponytail? Because I know it's a podcast. You can't see my hair. This hair's never been in a ponytail. I don't know what I'm doing. Oh. So like, or like, hey, what do you, you know, <laughs> you know does anyone know you know that song on the frozen 2 soundtrack because i can't find it anywhere and she's yelling at me that she wants it and i don't know what it is so things like that are like this pink go with purple or whatever it might be because oh. i don't know my experience right so i have a mom brain that i created uh of friends and connections that i can just post to again in facebook and say how do you deal with this or can someone tell me you know what's the difference between a clip and a bobby pin i you know i stuff like that where my wife would have known and I, she would have yelled at me or told me what to do or whatever. Yeah. So I've married a groups and I would, I, I think the overarching, you can kind of hear, I think it's important that people get a little bit of everything. There's some nice ambiguity and um, uh, uh, safety in online groups, because again, you can vent to a stranger and they're like, I get it. You're not crazy. And there's, that, that's nice, but you also need, real people in your life to help you at some point. So I think kind of that getting a nice balance of both, you know, don't, don't think that, you know, I, I have some amazing friends through the Facebook group and uh, of, of cancer that are amazing, but they also live all over the United States. So they're not going to help me move a couch, right? Like, so yeah. <laughs> you still need real people around as well. So I think those are the two kind of balances. And um, again, uh, you know, it, well, and also I cannot, it, just because of this is a bug. I cannot forget also my wife's, you know, our, our family, obviously, but my wife's circle of really good friends 
all stepped up in individual ways during her journey and even post and how they oh. support me and and trying to keep that connection of my wife to my daughter which is is super important it's hard to do but um and everyone kind of has to find their way and how to do that but i also think you know just because our person is gone doesn't mean that you should lose some of those connections i think it's 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 hard to do because it's a gentle reminder that your person's not there but it's also a good thing especially as a as a parent you want to keep that connection built because they're, they were part of your person's life and they yeah. know things that you will never know that maybe they should share with your kid one day. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for yeah. sharing all these resources with us. Uh, one other thing I'd like to know is because you've talked about so many resources you have at your fingertips and how they're helping you right now. Do you still have ongoing counseling or mm. Or, yeah. or talks physically what a great to to help you cope with the grief because it's a big loss oh it's huge what another man you may you you ask very good questions and thank you again thank you for asking that one um because i think counseling and again i'm a guy so i can only speak from a guy sometimes has a very mm, shameful or dirty tone to it like oh you need counseling it's like well I think we all do and i think we can find different different ways yes i again am very very lucky uh i call him so the the gentleman the counselor the psychologist that heads up the dad's group i was talking about physically at the cancer house he's available and what was nice about what's nice about his relationship with me is that he knew my wife because we went to the house we learned about how to make smoothies and all that stuff and with her cancer and stuff and and so he did counseling with her and me individually he did counseling with her and I together as a couple. And now he's a counselor to me, you know, in this dad group as an individual post loss. And he is, he is a magnificent resource for me really around, because I think it's his background being a, a, a cancer psychologist, I think is what his, his title is actually in his career of dealing with caregivers and cancer patients and the nuances that come. And I'll just glaze over with terminal diagnoses, right? So he knows very, a lot about that specific bandwidth, if we will. And so, yes, I still, I probably, it's kind of, it's, it's probably maybe with him, it's probably every other month because I, I, an individual with him, because every month we're on the group thing and there's always something amazing that comes out of that, whether it's through another dad or some advice that his name's Michael, Michael will give us is it's just real, like, you know, something as simple as like, you know, feel the feelings or do the next right thing that, in that moment you just need to hear and have that like oh i'm i'm i may not be okay but i'm doing okay i guess it's kind of like, there's a great book it's okay not to be okay i'm kind of okay, yeah. yeah that's another good one um but the other one that um i have found is uh through another widower he connected me with a, a, a grief counselor and he um since the first of this year again my life was a little hectic i moved which is apparently very normal after loss but anyway, i left the house that we were in together for a lot of different reasons but possibly also partly because there was very good memories and very hard memories in there but so and i moved so there's a little pause and i've talked about this with my grief counselor a little pause in me processing my grief and so i kind of started up with i started with him i want to say at the beginning of the year so he's a grief counselor and what him and i will cover so this is kind of again i'm very lucky to kind of have two i have one that's very i don't want to say clinical but knows my wife knows my journey 
and knows our journey and knows cancer. This guy, uh, he's just a grief counselor. And he really, and I, I will talk about the conversation I might have. I will talk to him about like, why am I avoiding um, organizing the last uh, two years of my wife's and I a life together, you know, cancer kind of messed it all up, but like the pictures, I, I, I don't want to sort them. I don't want to print them. I don't want, and he'll be like, well, you know, there's a lot of emotions behind that. Here's how, again, Matt processes things. And so this could be a reason why. Oh, and then giving me some tools of like, well, maybe instead of going down to the box of pictures, or as you and I were talking earlier, the entire flash drive, right? Or whatever. Maybe you just like grab 10 and decide like, what do I do with these 10? Do I frame them? Do I scan them? Or do I put them in the picture box? Or are they the ugly pictures? And I don't want to look at any of them. And when I say ugly, right? Like we take 4,000 pictures and the only one good one. Um, you know, or in, just set some time on it. So he gives me tools to be able to take chunks of this massive, because you still, you're grieving. And I'm sure you went through this with your dad and they're still doing, you know, grief isn't something that you put a time clock on. You're like, well, in six months, you'll be half done with it. In a year, you'll be perfectly fine. You're never really okay. You're constantly reminded in small ways and big ways of grieving. But what he does for me personally, the grief counselor, if you will, gives me little tools between our sessions to like, go try it out. See if that helps you process the thing that you're avoiding because it's going to bring up emotions. And there's a great phrase he used in one of our sessions, which is, I was like, why am I, why am I avoiding, I'll just stay with the pictures. Why am I avoiding processing these pictures that are in a box? So that it, there's some beautiful pictures in the journey and trips we took and pictures of the daughter and all like nothing bad or sad necessarily. And he goes, because it's going to force you to engage with the memory of your wife and you're, you, it's going to hurt. And our bodies, they go all the way back to our spirit, our human insides know like, that's going to hurt me again. And I'm not ready to be hurt again. He goes, so maybe you do it in little chunks. Yeah. And so things like that. So I think the two, for me, those two resources have been super helpful. And then I am not as good as a reader as I should be. So I cheat, right? So I'll ask other people <laughs> about what they've read. <laughs> and I will go, I will listen to that as a short book or whatever. There are some amazing, we mentioned one, it's okay not to be okay. Um, there's, there are some amazing, just amazing books written. Keebler Ross is another one about death and dying. And then David Kessler, her kind of disciple wrote the sixth one, which is, um, grief and finding purpose. And I may be butchering that. So don't quote me on that, but there are some great books. And also actually another one that I find really helpful. I just thought of this as I'm, oh, you might hear, sorry, the boss may be back. You may have to edit that out. She's back from her swim lesson. Um, the, the other thing I find very helpful is there's actually, believe it or not, some Instagram accounts. One is called Modern Loss and one may be called, and maybe you put this in the like the notes, and one's called like a, something else, Modern Grief. Anyway, yeah. they're great because they're literally not even a paragraph uh, of, of just something someone captured about the grief. And it's just, yeah. and, it's, and you'll be scrolling through. And, it, and some of them don't speak to you, but some of them you're like, that is spot on how I'm feeling today, right? And so that's another one, again, all the way back to, I think I mentioned earlier, this kind of making it normal that it's it's okay to, in the middle of the day, go like, man, I really miss my person. Yeah. And all of a sudden there's an Instagram and I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't want to promote one channel or something, Instagram or Facebook or even a podcast, right? That all of a sudden it just speaks to you and it makes you feel better than you did before you heard it. And knowing that it's okay to feel that way, yeah. good, bad, or indifferent, right? Like sometimes there's the guilt with feeling like in a moment with my daughter, we're playing whatever. I'm super happy. 
And then right in the back end of it, I'm like, oh, I'm sad again because my wife's not here. But it's okay to be happy, right? Like, and it's okay also to be sad. It's it, and yeah. so you kind of need both of that. So those again, I'll kind of go back. Those I'm very lucky. I have two prequel resources. One is actually deals with like a psychologist in cancer. The other's a grief counselor. And then I think it kind of leaning on social media, which I'm not a huge fan for everything in life, but. Uh-huh. It's just really great that every now and then, you know, I'll be looking at my friend's cute kid pictures and dog pictures and what they ate on Tuesday. And then all of a sudden there's this great little, like literally five sentences and it just hits you and you go like, yeah, I'm, it might be like, that's how I'm feeling today or yeah, I'll be okay. Or wow, I'm really glad that you know someone wrote that down because it speaks to me today. So those would be kind of, I think the, the three or two places that I, I use as my resources to draw from. Oh. Thank you so much, Matthew. It's been awesome. Yes. These resources are practical resources. And considering yeah. the kind of time we're going through with all the COVID deaths going yeah. down, we do need practical, not just theoretical resources and things that don't really, I mean, there are so many things that you look at. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, yeah. I don't really think that works for me. But right. with all these, you know, actually looking at Instagram, I find Pinterest is another resource. I there you go. Pinterest, That's another great one. Yes, yes. There's another resource on Pinterest, and you know, just looking at pictures. Yes, like you said, sometimes it's difficult to say, okay, I'm throwing this away. You don't know what to throw away. You don't know what to keep. You're like, okay, I keep maybe I keep ten today. And tomorrow I'll process another thing. Yep. So yeah, that's a good way. And to I, you it. know, and I'm so glad you said about COVID too, because one of the things that you know, I don't want to deep dive too far into it, but I picked up from this from one of the Instagram accounts, which is we are all collectively mourning yeah. a future that we thought we had. Being able to get on planes, going to vacation, seeing our friends, doing what it was normal. Everything was. We were just chugging away a year ago, actually almost a year ago right now for us in the United States. Yeah. And it changed overnight and everyone's like, whoa, I have a loss of whatever it was, the, the trip you're going to take with the kids, the, uh-huh. the water park, whatever, you lost it, it's gone. Yeah. And so everyone, I think, um, is grieving and sometimes they don't realize and they're like, no, I, I didn't lose, I didn't lose a person. I'm like, no, but you lost your you annual lost trip. Yeah. Right, you lo- not only right, exactly. We all lost. You lost I actually, year. Even, I did the math wrong on how old I'm going to be this year. Exactly. Until the other day, until the other day I realized, 50. oh, I'm a year older than I thought. I yeah, I turned fifty in December, and I didn't really want to say that I turned fifty. I said I was celebrating. Just do everyone gets a redo. I agree. Everyone yeah. just gets a redo. We should we shouldn't count that one. But so I'm glad you brought that up because not just yes, lots of COVID death and, yeah. and people suffering from that. But I think that. You know, grief is this kind of little tricky little deal that we forget that it doesn't always have to be death of a person that causes grief. You know, you could have had a career all lined up and COVID knocked it sideways and you go like, I had this whole thing planned and I just lost my entire career. Like what am I supposed or my my dream of owning a business or, you know, I feel bad here in the States for people that were trying to to open a business. They did everything right. Yes. Yeah. Right. Like I think of those people trying to open a business, you know, but here in the States, you know, the month of March, like, okay, I got my, they're doing it right. They found the right place. They did the back of their research. Mm. They're ready. They're opening a 
barbershop or whatever. And then March 20th, two weeks into opening, shut down. They're like, what yeah. did I do wrong? They just, all the hard work they've done, everything they've done to build climate, all of it, they didn't do anything wrong. Mm. And again, loss can be a weird little deal, but yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up too. That's a really good point. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Great so questions. Much. Well, yeah. Uh, can I just ask, how are you right now? I, I forgot to ask that for all the while. <laughs> you know, um, I, I, you, you, you over, well, overall, you know, I, I love there's a great, I use it all the time. There's this great, what is it? I think meme, right? Or meme, whatever. And it's this dog drinking coffee in the kitchen, like a cartoon. But you zoom one click out and like the kitchen's on fire and he's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. That's basically like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, you know, it's interesting. So my wife's birthday is in the month of March. March is colorectal awareness month. We always seem to take a trip in April. That was kind of our thing. Um, you know, and, and so I'm coming to the end of kind of grief remembrance, like, you know, Facebook, Facebook's awesome, but also it's really mean sometimes where it's like wow. four, years, right, exactly. right, four okay. years ago, you were having so much fun and now you're doing nothing. Um, <laughs> So overall, okay, but you know, and what a what a nice question to ask. The and full, you know, you can do whatever you want to edit out. Um, but the full full disclosure is right now. What I struggle with is you know, kind of two things. One, am I processing my grief in in a healthy way? Both to show I actually have I have two daughters, one not for my wife, but to show my daughters that you know, dad crying on his anniversaries is okay. It, it doesn't mean I'm in a bad place. It just means I really miss my person. And, um, you know, and it's, and it's okay dad, because I, up until then, I don't think my older daughter ever saw me cry. Not like I'm some big man. I just didn't have a reason to cry in front of her. Like we were always having fun, right? Like I didn't have, a re maybe, I, maybe I slammed my hand in the car door or something, but I never had a reason to cry in front of her. And so now she's kind of seen a maybe softer side or the full 360 of me. Right. And then I think the, you know, so I, str I struggle with kind of, am I processing my grief in a healthy uh, manner and reflecting that to the people I care about and letting them know that, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with it. And, you know, if I need, and I was just telling a friend this other day, I struggle to use the H word, which is help. Like I, there are times that I will forget to ask for help because I should be able to do this by myself really like that you know so sometimes you're like you gotta kind of check your ego a little bit yeah you should be able to do this by yourself but guess what there's no one else in the picture right now it's just you with the kids so sometimes asking for help is a big one and then i think um the other thing uh on the grief side but then the other part is you know how to I, I, you know doing okay but i think the other one is not only how to process grief but the the other one is am i am i being honest with where i am emotionally on this post-lost journey right where i just joked about the meme like i'm okay but everything in the background is is on fire uh -huh. and you go like well, you know am i not just dealing dealing with grief is important but like am i taking care of myself am i taking care of the right things uh -huh. um am i in probably a good segue am i being the best version of both parents that i can be in my current situation and that those two things take up so much emotional energy at times like you know where it's you know um you, you know am am i am i being a good dad and am i being a good mom at the same time and how do i do that without overthinking it sometimes right and going like oh i didn't i didn't let her paint my nails 
Saturday. I, I would never do that. I'd love having my nails painted by a three-year-old. It's fantastic. It looks awesome. Uh, that, but like, you know, am I, am I being, as a guy wearing the mom hat, yeah. you know, am I being soft enough? Right. Am I being like, and I've asked my daughter sometimes when I'm brushing her hair, I'm like, is that too hard? So I think the two things, and I'm glad, I'm, thank you for asking is, you know, emotionally, you know, am I processing the big, the big elephant in the room? Okay. Right. Like am I dealing with my grief? And then I think physically in the world, like, am I, you know, am I representing what I'm trying to do in my actions really? And because I'm my person that I would ask those questions to like, you know, are we really eating healthy because there's pizza in the kitchen? <laughs> uh, you know, you know, maybe we should stop doing it. Isn't here. So I kind of have to internally balance that with myself. So Okay, I guess. <laughs> oh, I I think you are also that. And for you to be thinking, oh, am I doing this right? Am I doing, I mean, for you to be querying yourself, thinking mm -hmm. out those things, it means that you must be doing something right. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, you know, I, I hope so. And it's also, you know, I'm sure anyone who is lucky enough to have children or to have someone that they care about in that, in that sort of way and be that caregiver and try to raise somebody that, and especially single or solo, you know, I use solo is like your person is passed and single is the other person's just not involved. Um, that every now and then you take a little reflection and, at, and just kind of, you know, I, can I ask yourself, like, am I, am I, am I really, you know, we can say one thing, like I can say like, I want to eat healthier, but ordering pizza doesn't, doesn't support that every day, right? I'm not anti-pizza, I love pizza. Um, but but like are my actions to my my little person, am I am I reflecting what I really want, right? So like if I want her to, I don't know, be the best gymnast, well, giving her softball lessons makes no sense, right? And so it's kind of that sort of thing where it's like, well, I I can show her, you know, guy stuff. But then I really have to think about like, and actually this, actually this just happened a couple of days ago. We were playing and she wanted me to build something out of blocks and I was sure no problem. And then right after that, she wanted me to be like, play the doll princess or whatever, <laughs> but I wasn't done building no, the thing. The I'm like, street, well, bro, well I, I, yeah, but I had to, I did, but I had to tell myself, I'm like, stop building the thing that you're comfortable with, with the blocks and do what, like, I mean, very general, you know, general gender here but like go do what mom would do which would be the princess in the play in in the little house with her like stop doing the comfortable guy thing for six seconds and so the and so those are the sort of things that you know thinking about in the moment but just always i don't say always that sounds but just trying to you know wear both hats is is you're constantly flipping them on and off, I guess would be right. You're like, Oh, but in the default one, it's always easier to wear the one that you naturally, you know, we all do. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, it's hard, you know, or like, you know, I joke that if I have wonderful grandmothers, well, she has wonderful grandmothers. I have a wonderful mother-in-law and a wonderful mom. But if it was left to me, my poor daughter would be wearing a gray shirt and black sweatpants every single day. Oh, but thank oh, goodness. Oh. Thank goodness other people are buying her very beautiful colored clothes because I'm a guy and I'm like, I don't know. What it does go. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I think that's, but every now and then I have to like whatever shopping, whatever. And if I see something cute, I go, you know what? It, my, I may not want a pink shirt with butterflies on it, but she probably would. So let me put the one that has the truck on it down and get her the. <laughs> so those are the sort of things that when you, you know, the hat's on and you kind of have to go, wait a minute, this is, 
me walking around as the man I've been for 40 plus years on the planet, I, I may have to make some adjustments from time to time. So, Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much. Yes. So what's in stock for the future? What'd you say? What's in stock for you oh, for the future? It's a great question. Man, you have some really good questions. Um, <laughs> well, now that I talked about pizza, ordering pizza. No. Uh, <laughs> and now I'm going to have to go buy her. Uh-huh. Now I'm going to have to go buy her a pink butterfly shirt. She probably heard me. Um, you know, there's a couple of things. Uh, and you can you can you can tell me if this is okay. One is I actually um, am uh, developing content for a podcast um, for dads who are grieving and conversations around what it's like to be um, a dad in this in environment of being, uh, you know, dealing with loss, being a dad with, you know, littles or, or, or middle-aged children at home and how you navigate that and just the, the craziness and the emotions that come with it. So that's on tap in the next couple of months. Um, the other, the other, the other thing really is like, you know, I, I, Sounds crazy, but I, I have a soon-to-be 18-year-old and a soon-to-be four-year-old. I would not recommend spreading them that far out, but I do. They're amazing in their own right. But so what's next is really, you know, helping the oldest to to finish high school and and help her make the the transition and the good choice of where she wants to do post-high school. And then with the little one, it's it's really because of COVID, we dialed back like interactions and stuff. So it's finding a new, because I mentioned before I moved, it's finding a network as a solo and single dad and of people that, you know, again, COVID, COVID changes the nuances a little bit, like that want to do what I'm using your quotes, right? Play, play groups or, you know, whatever it would mean to get my daughter socially connected to other people because she's three and a half. And then um, really, I think the, the, the other one, because we, you brought it up and you talked about it. And I, again, because of my life, transitions and stuff that happen is getting back actively involved in the young, the young cancer groups. Um, because March kind of brought it back to the forefront or forefront of my mind, but, but also just realizing like, just because, you know, it's, it's sadly that my wife's journey ended with cancer doesn't mean that there's somebody else. I, I know there are, they aren't about ready to go on it or same age, same scenario, right? Young family, young kids out of the blue, here we go. Their their world's going to be you know kind of knocked sideways. And I try to offer my ear to listen, and then my humble advice on you know how to navigate it because it's super tricky. And I think a lot of people, especially when you're under the age of forty and you haven't had super crazy life events that knock you off your center, you don't. It's hard to find people. That tell you that who've been through it and they can honestly look you deep in the eye and tell you everything you're doing is normal and yes it's totally crazy and no you shouldn't have to do this but you're gonna have to do it anyway and so i think those are kind of the three things right like take care of my kiddos uh start the podcast so that um uh i specifically right now it's aimed at men but i have a lot of great uh widowers that their stories are same i can't speak to it because i'm, I'm not a mom trying to be a dad right mm -hmm. and so They've got some great uh, information and resources to share as well. And then just being active in the in the cancer community and, and having people, <laughs> the joke is, get their butts checked. <laughs> it sounds oh. funny, but it's true. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, it, it, it's so awesome that you are 
taking your experience and building on that to impact on other lives. I mean, that is so great to know. And I hope your podcast and everything that you've got planned goes really well. And thank you for sharing this story. It's been so awesome. And I know it's different. It is different. And, you know, I you know, thank you for reaching out, you know, and, and setting this up and asking, you know, some really, some really great questions and, and some very tactful for one tactful ones as well, right? Like, you know, what are the symptoms and how are you doing? And, and, you know, just, a, it was really, it was really great. And I really appreciate you um, being a conduit to share this story and um at any time if you want to do a follow-up or whatever please just Uh reach out again and if as i said way back to right like if my wife's journey and me sharing it can help one person then it it makes it not at all worth it it just makes it have a purpose and it helps me selfishly for it to make sense because there are things that happen in all of our lives I think sometimes we scratch our head and we go, what in the world was that about? 